His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this morning, our, our passage uh, that I'm uh, going to walk us through is from the Gospel of John, and that is uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. So uh, maybe if you're worshiping at home, uh, you can send someone off if you don't already have it for the family Bible, uh, and uh, you can follow along, because I'm going to walk us through this passage. I'm going to just begin by reading the first seven verses, but then what I want to do is just kind of model for us a way of, uh, while we're home, one of the things that maybe is more available to us is the time to take our Bibles out and spend some time with them. Uh, and so what I want to do as I walk through this passage uh, together this morning is, is simply a model, a way of thinking about Scripture as we move through uh, these verses together that's available to all of us. These uh, my remarks and my reflections on the passage this morning um, will, are, are going to be the kind of uh, reflecting that, that is available to anybody. In other words, you don't need a, a theological education uh, to access the, the, the richness of the Bible. And so this morning we'll see if we can experience that a bit together as we move through these verses in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. So just to uh, get us started, I'm going to read just the first seven verses and then I'll walk back through those as we move through this passage. And I'll indicate as we go uh, where I am in the, in the, in the passage. Uh, chapter 9. As he, that's Jesus, as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. It's an amazing story. Most of us have heard it before. So I want to just walk through not only those seven verses, but all 38. Some of it will take in chunks, some of it verse by verse. And all I'm sharing is what occurred to me when I sat down with this uh, scripture earlier and, uh, and walked through it myself. And as I'm doing this, you, you will have other things that occur to you. And I think this is a good uh, way for us to access the Bible. There's so much there for us. And this is a good chance, again, as I've said, uh, to take some time to, to do just that. So verse 1, as he walked along, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man born blind from birth. When I read that verse again, uh, the first thing that jumped out at me is that this man, this blind man, likely placed uh, on the ground, uh, sitting, uh, begging as people passed by. This man was not out looking for Jesus. Jesus is the one who is on the move, and it is Jesus who saw this man. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, we've covered this quite a bit here at Prince of Peace, but the prevailing wisdom of the day uh, indicated that, you know, if somebody was stricken with such uh, a curse, uh, whether it be leprosy or uh, some other handicap, or in this case, blindness, that it had to be the result of, of some sinfulness. This was something that uh, the people, even religious people, especially religious people, uh, clung to as, as a kind of belief. And I think we would like to believe we've moved beyond this, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see places where this creeps back in. Hmm? As we look for people we might blame, even for this current pandemic, uh, we are looking for uh, reason, this must have had, there must be some place to place the blame for these kinds of things happening. Well, verse 3, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. This is not the result of anybody's sin, Jesus said. Rather, it is so that God might be made visible through this blind man. Hmm? Not only is Jesus dumping this conventional wisdom that we've spoken of, that you kind of get what you have coming in this world and the next, but Jesus is going so far as to say that in this very one, this person that you would be religious leaders see as different from or even less than yourselves. In this blind man, God Almighty is choosing to be made visible. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And what jumps out at me there is that Jesus says, we, not I, he says, we, we must do the works of him who sent us. I, I think of all of you out there, you know, uh, sheltering at home and the social isolation. And I think of our empty worship center right now, except for the few of us here to lead this service. And I think of how we close all of our services uh, by, by sending you out, go in peace, serve the Lord, and how the church has never been a place or a building, but always the people deployed out there in the world. And Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent us. I know you're doing that even now. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am, Jesus says, the light of the world. This is the name that God gives, the creating God gives in the book of Genesis, I am. And Jesus uses that language to refer to himself right here. I am the light of the world. Verse 6, when he had said this, now this is the one that, you know, Sunday school kids around the world love. When he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. Gross, <laughs> right? I mean, we are being told not to touch our own faces, and Jesus spits into some dirt and makes it into mud and spreads it on this guy's eyes. Well, we're drawn back to the, again, the Genesis text of 
the creating God, bringing mankind uh, to, to existence out of the stuff of the earth. And Jesus is saying, I am. Verse 7, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. I just right away think of, how did this blind man make his way across that rocky, dusty, hilly terrain to get to the pool of Siloam, however far away that was? Someone must have helped him uh, to do that. What did he think was going to happen? Uh, and, 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 and then he could see. It worked. He washed that mud off his eyes. And it's interesting, at that point, when I think, we've been told this man was blind from birth, what would you do if for the first time you can actually see? I would run straight home, right? I have never physically, with my own eyes, seen my own mom. I have never seen my brother or sister or my dad. I would run straight home, but this one does not. He turns around and goes back, only this time he's the one looking for Jesus. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And the people had always seen him as a beggar. This is how they defined him in that community. They labeled him. And so they were able to forget about him. And I wonder if everybody in this story is beginning to receive new vision. They'd seen him earlier as a beggar. I wonder how they see him now. And I wonder who we might have labeled. Who am I choosing not to see? Where am I blind? Verse 9, some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Some said, yeah, that's him, all right. But others said, no, nah, I mean, it, it looks like him, but it can't, it can't be him. And then it happens, and you may not have noticed this yet through these first nine verses, but up until this moment, this man born blind, this beggar as his community has defined him and even named him, he hasn't said a word. Huh? He hasn't spoken a word he hasn't asked for a thing. He has not demonstrated that he has any particularly profound and strong faith in Jesus. But now, after Jesus has given him his vision, and while the people are talking about him as if he's not even there, is it him? Well, it looks like him. It can't be him. I mean, he's the guy who sits and begs all the time. He finally speaks and he says, I am. I am, and maybe these small two words are true for him in a way they've never been before. Verse 10, but they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? Okay, so it's you then, so how were your eyes opened? What's the trick? Isn't that just like us? A person is given sight. More than that, a person is given back an identity as a, as a person. I am somebody. And does anyone think to go and hug him or throw a party for him to rejoice with him? Verses 11 and 12. He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to 
Siloam and washed, and then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he, this Jesus? And he said, I do not know. Now, all the religious leaders want to know is how. How does it work? How were your eyes open? The man called Jesus told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and so I did. He said, and now I can see. And the second time he speaks, so the first time this man simply said, I am. The second time he speaks, this man shows the beginning of real vision. Because now, not only can he see, he also knows who did this for him, and he's not afraid to share that with anybody who will listen or who will ask him. And this makes me wonder, as I reflect on it, how many times we might take for granted blessings in our own lives. I know it's happening a lot right now as we're shut in at home, and for a lot of us not able to be here right now. Uh, how many times have we taken so many blessings for granted, and how do we show our gratitude to God with the lives that we live? Verses 13 and 14. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now they decide, uh, we better get a second opinion on all of this. Let's bring him, let's bring this man formerly born blind over to some religious experts and see what they have to say about all this. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. A new group of religious experts ask him what happened, and again, he simply recounts for them the sequence of events as they unfolded and what Jesus did for him. And very much like the woman at the well that we met last week, as she ran back and told the townspeople what Jesus had done for her, he just shares what Jesus had done for him. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So leave it to the highly religious people to decide that some rules have been broken somehow. Some protocol not followed. We diverted from the proper order of worship. Uh, people aren't supposed to have communion at home by themselves. They need to be in the church with ordained pastors presiding and within some sort of weird proximity or, you know, we should hold off. And, I mean, we leave it to the religious people. So, okay, so he healed you, but he did it on the wrong day. This is what they're yelling about. Verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened, he said. He's a prophet. Now, here John gives us just pure irony. The religious experts are asking this man formerly born blind, this one known as a beggar, what he thinks about the Messiah, huh? the son of the living God. And his faith is growing, this man. And he says, you know, that's what you're asking. I think this Jesus is a prophet. Verses 18 through 23, now we'll take a chunk the Jewish leaders did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son 
and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. For those leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, before we become too critical of those who are skeptical, we do have to ask ourselves if we wouldn't react in a similar way. We prefer some proof, some evidence. Uh, Why else would we get so excited every time some scientific study comes out and indicates that prayer is actually efficacious in the healing process, you know, and they do blind studies and so forth, and we send movies up the best that win awards because uh, they are dealing with uh, uh, somebody who died and went to heaven and came back and tell us what it's all really like, you know. We, we yearn for some kind of evidence, some kind of proof. Hey, is this really your kid? The religious leaders ask the parents. Was he really blind from birth? How is it that he now sees? And the parents are more sophisticated than their son. They know better than to get into a discussion with these religious leaders that could end up getting them kicked out of the community of faith. The boy's old enough to speak for himself, they say. And boy, are they right. He is, and he'll tell anyone who asks him what happened, what has been done for him, and by whom. So we're at verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Come on, buddy. What are you so hung up on this Jesus guy for? Give the credit to God. And we hear echoes of this today. Why, why, why do you have to get so specific? Why so hung up on this person, Jesus? We All are kind of able to worship in our own ways. We can worship Mother Nature, become one with the cosmos, find your inner child. I mean, all roads lead to heaven. Christianity is a fine philosophy, I guess. But does this Jesus need to be in the middle of everything? Um, The New Testament speaks even of Jesus as a stumbling block. I'm often asked when I'm in Africa, moving among villagers for whom... Maybe Christianity hasn't quite yet gotten to their uh, place. What I have to say uh, about this Jesus, and always uh, it it is this introduction to one uh, that I believe chooses and loves and forgives them as much as he does that for me. Verse 25, he's answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know all your rules. I don't know if this Jesus breaks them or not. But one thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I can see. And that makes me wonder, what is one thing that you know? (laughs) This man, formerly born blind, this beggar, says, one thing I do know. I was blind, and... Now I see. What is one thing that you know that you can share with others that might point them in the direction of a gracious God made visible in Jesus? 
Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now things are kind of getting hilarious. Tell us how he did it. He's been telling them. They don't want to hear it. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And we can see that this man born blind is gaining in confidence. We can hear sarcasm in his reply. I don't know how you could read that otherwise. Are you guys trying to be his disciples now? Do you see the faith growing in this one? This beggar seems to be finding his stride. In the next several verses now, uh, the religious leaders just continue to question the credentials of Jesus. So we'll jump to verse 34. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. Okay, so they're sticking to that old way of understanding that people get what they have coming. Huh? You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us, and they drove him out. They threw him out of church. Huh? They threw him out of the community of faith. The religious experts get mad. We don't even know where this Jesus is from. You were born in utter sin. Obviously, because karma, people get what they have coming. Maybe it wasn't you, it was, could have been your parents or your grandparents, but someone did something. And that's what's so amazing to me. He says, Jesus healed me, and you religious guys don't seem to know anything about him, so they drove him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So the account of the man born blind ends as it began, with Jesus tracking him down, not the other way around. It's important. It's a detail that's important for us to notice. Jesus tracks him down, and finding him this time, Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Who is he? 37, Jesus answered. And I always picture Jesus kind of grinning when he says this. You've seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. You've seen him. It's almost a playful response by Jesus. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And finally, the man born blind, the one known as the beggar, is able to say not only what Jesus had done for him, not only that Jesus is a prophet, now he's able to say, I do believe, Lord. I do believe. I have this faith you've given me. And that, I believe, is what Jesus was trying to give this man all along. Even more than the physical healing, returning his sight, or giving him sight for the first time, Jesus wanted this man to have faith. And I think we have to get this straight. I think it's important for us to have the vision to see for ourselves that Jesus did not come to demand faith from this poor man, from this one born blind, from this one known as a beggar. He did, Jesus did not come to demand faith from this one, to hold it over this poor man as a threat, Jesus came to give this faith as a gracious gift.
We saw it with Nicodemus who came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. We saw it with the woman at the well and this formerly blind beggar. We see it again. On Ash Wednesday, when uh, we were uh, as a community here in the, in the church uh, receiving the imposition of ashes, one of our young ones uh, came forward and received the ashes from Pastor Natalia. And as he turned to go back to his seat, he said aloud and loud enough for Natalia to hear, what just happened? <laughs> Which both of us thought was a wonderful question. What just happened? And what should we do about it? Into all of your anxiety, people, into all of this uncertainty, and yeah, even into some of the fear you may well be feeling, Jesus this morning catches up with you. Not to demand anything from you, but to give you himself and to give you faith so that you can know and you can say, I am, I am a forgiven, chosen child of God. That's the message uh, that the place called Prince of Peace Lutheran Church is built on. It's the message we gather around, whether we do it virtually or in person. It's the message that flows from this altar of grace we gather around now as we receive the Lord Jesus uh, in the sacrament of Holy Communion together. Amen. Uh, we end every service here at Prince of Peace by a reminder of the gospel we've all just shared together in community and then ascending out to be the church in the world. So while we are uh, physically kept apart from one another, uh, the church continues, the, the work and the ministry continue. And uh, we are built for a moment such as this. Uh, so uh, we know that there is varying levels of of anxiety out there among uh, the people. And, and we want you to know we are praying for you. We are here for you to uh, send in your requests uh, via text or email or calling us on our, on our phones or calling the church office where messages can be left if the office is closed. And we're going to make our way forward uh, just reacting together collectively as a leadership team uh, to the information that we have. And, and uh, nobody's quite positive of what that will look like, but you can be positive of this. The church is at work. You are a part of that church uh, and that God has come in Christ so that you might have faith, not to demand it from you, not to demand that you not be anxious, that you not be fearful, uh, that you be somehow superhuman during this anxious time, but to, to let you know that in this body and in this blood, in this cup we have shared, that Christ is truly present with you in a way that nothing can separate. Uh, so that's the message we leave you with on this day, and we'll stay in touch. We're there with you, and we do deeply appreciate uh, worshiping with you in this way on this day. So now I say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.